I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. You're listening to part three of our GSP Best of the Decade series, looking at the top American storylines, results, and controversies from the 2010s. Once again, Jonathan Kelly is joining me on this part of the podcast. And unlike the first two parts where we talked storylines, very specific players, things such as the 2014 Kalamazoo, Venus, Serena Sloan, Jack Sock, etc., we had a little fun on part three. We did the rest of the stuff, the superlatives of the decade from American tennis, things like the top match to watch our favorite players our least favorite players the category I affectionately call the Stefan Kozlov still irrationally believe in this guy category things of that nature to really give you a comprehensive look at all things from the tennis uh, world from I should say the U.S. in the 2010s uh, now obviously as it's part three we had to have a bunch of fun as well we did our some lists our top 10 men and women of the decade based on their results based on their significance uh, the players who we thought had the most potential this decade who didn't turn out, uh, you know, the players we will be watching most closely heading into 2020, all of those sorts of, uh, the 2020s, excuse me, all of those sorts of things. And again, through these three parts, we really did cover 10 years of American tennis. So if you missed anything, go check out parts one and two. Uh, But with that in mind, enjoy part three of my conversation with Jonathan Kelly. with Jack Sox title coming in 2017. That was one of a crescendo of many things that happened in that season. Uh, That's going to be our next storyline, our second to last storyline listeners um, who are keeping track at home. But I have a list of things that happened that season. Uh, Tell me if you want to add anything and what the larger narrative is. We had a Serena Serena Grand Slam title in Australia. Sloan and Keys play that U.S. Open final. Sloan gets her first title. Bethany Maddox-Sands wins a bunch of double slams. Ryan Harrison gets a French Open double slam. The Jack Sock Masters title, Sam Query, semifinal, quarterfinals, back-to-back majors to end the year. What am I missing? You're missing um, uh, the fact that for the first time in forever, however long, we had four Americans in the semifinals of a major, at the same major, mm-hmm. uh, which was remarkable. We had the Fed Cup win that year, led almost... Uh, like a one one woman show with Coco Vandeweghe, we had uh, um, I think three I think four different women American women that year were in the top ten. Sloan, I'm not including Sloan who didn't reach the top ten that year. Um, we had uh, Coco, Venus, Keys, and Serena all in the top ten. Uh, we had the All Williams final, um, the last one that we may ever see that year. We had Serena having a baby, which is a big deal in tennis and certainly was a big deal at the time, winning a major while pregnant. We had Bethany Maddox-Sands, you said, winning two majors, but also had that horrific injury, which was part of that year, um, but also being number one in the world at the time. We had, I thought one of the biggest stories was Sam Querrey's 
remarkable uh, run in Los Cabos where he beat mm-hmm. uh, Kyrgios, right, and Nadal and somebody else huge uh, during that run. Uh, U.S. men went undefeated in their uh, nine um, nine tournament finals that they played with the exception of uh, Ryan Harrison losing to John Isner. So they had one, one had to lose there. Um, CeCe Bellis is where, that's when she started to come to prominence. And uh, even Lauren Davis got in on the action and won a title. And uh, uh, Steve Johnson won a title. Ryan Harrison won a title, I think. It was just a, it was an extremely, uh, you could almost do a, a 30 for 30 about that year in American tennis. It was, <laughs> it was uh, that many amazing sort of highs, some lows, incredible stories, Sloan, like going from being on crutches and uh, a little Walker thing to winning a major um, in the, the, the fashion that she won it. Um, and it ended with, uh, with uh, the Fed Cup title as well. So, yeah, I just thought it was an amazing year and probably the most up until this past year, which might have been even a little bit more exciting in some ways. Uh, but, you know, this year didn't have any American major winners. And, and that year we had two plus Venus getting to the final of of, uh, of Wimbledon by herself, which um, is the last major final that she's been in and may be, end up being the last in her career. Only two things I would add to that one. Obviously, the largest, most significant, most impactful uh, tennis result of the 2017 year that I'm a little upset you didn't mention. The University of Michigan wins the 2017 Club Tennis National Title. Oh, <laughs> captained and presidented by yours truly, Alex Gruskin. Uh, huge tennis result sent way first northern school to win a Club Tennis National Title. So I'm taking a bow over here. Also, 2017. Cracked Rackets, Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, all of these podcasts first got started. Our first meeting, Jonathan, the wow. 2017 season. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You're right. It was yeah. it was momentous. It was uh it was momentous and exciting and every week was uh something different and unexplainable happened. Um and so when you can start with a pregnant Serena winning uh a major and end with Jack Sock getting within two matches of winning the year-end championship, um, you know you've had a great year. Yeah, oh, without question. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned, though, that other— because if 2017 wasn't the most exciting year for American tennis fans, this past season, 2019, certainly was. And this is going to be our last storyline before we get into some extra superlative things down the home stretch. Um, but the 2019 youth movement, and it was on both— you know, young is a relative definition. Young compared to Jonathan, that's all of these guys. Young compared to me, well, now we're talking Coco Goff, Sophia Damn! No, you didn't. Sorry. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Um, But (laughs) I want you to know that. Oh well, Alex. (laughs) Oh, I'm hurt. Uh, You're right. You know the truth hurts. Go on. Go on. Yeah, I want you to know the second you sent me 2019 youth movement as a storyline, I planned that joke. So that was, that was a big moment for me. I'm glad it went over well. Um, no, I mean, look, you talk about it from – it's the 95s. I'll be generous to anyone now, but people born in 2000, which is freaking crazy. Um, but, you know, the Paul, Opelka, Fritz, Tiafo generation, what they – you know, a bunch of – all of those – 
for, but Tom and Paul have an ATP title now. Uh, Nisimova made a Grand Slam semifinal. Sophia Kenton was just outstanding this season. Um, Coco Gauff, I mean, what she did at age 15, are you kidding me? Katie McNally. The list can go on and on and on and on. Uh, But 2019, the storyline at large maybe in the tennis world, but certainly for American tennis, was how good so many of these young players look. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, especially with the women, um, I think that the fact that we had the three of the top five American men all being 22 or younger, uh, all in the top 50, is great and very exciting moving forward. Um, That Tommy Paul's run toward the end, breaking into the top 100 for the first time. Um, And, you know, even though even though some players have been hurt and have had down years, I think that you can still see uh, the way that Michael Moe ended the year, the way that uh, uh, um, JJ Wolf ended the year, um, the way that, uh, that um, even uh, Corda, Sebastian Corda ended the year. There's plenty of exciting times on the horizon for, for American men. Um, this is the year that, Francis Schiaffo got to a major quarterfinal, and he didn't uh, he didn't match that anywhere. But um, he had some he showed some amazing heart in some of those five set matches that he played. And uh, you know we we uh, we we showed that you can't write off this next generation of American tennis. I don't know if we're going to see these guys in the top twenty next year. I think it's definitely possible, but you know sometimes defending after your first big year becomes a real a real challenge in a lot of ways but uh i don't think there's any doubt that uh all three of those guys plus tommy paul are definitely top 20 potential in their careers and it's going to depend a lot on how they manage their bodies how they like we said before how they manage the mental side of things um and how they manage their schedules and who they, you know, some luck will probably in, be involved. You can get a, an Andrea Seppi in the fourth round of a major versus getting Novak Djokovic in the fourth round of a major or Yannick Sinner even. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to make a difference. But uh, I think, yeah, for American men, there's plenty of, um, there's some comfort knowing that we're going to have, uh, at the Australian Open, we're going to have Michael Moe, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, all in the main draw, out of the gate, as well as uh, players like uh, Escobedo, um, and you know, hopefully, you know, Chris Eubanks and uh, JJ Wolf, and hopefully, we'll start seeing the return of Jared Donaldson finally, and Mackie McDonald, and uh, Stefan Kozlov even to play to their best potential, which is definitely higher than where they're right at right now. Um, And then for the women, it's just, it's almost scary how, how good the, the young women, the the teens in early twenties in, in 2019. Um, Really quickly, before you get to the women, I just want to add one more name. What about the Spida man who took Lorenzi to five? I mean, Zach Spida, he looked great as well. So even from a young Kalamazoo champion, 16 years old, I mean, yes, he's not going to be at the slam, but just even again, it's the next crop. You're right. The Martin Dams of the world, the Emilio Navas, the Zach Sfidas. We clearly, there are still great American young men 
uh, in the pipelines. Yeah. A lot of them, weirdly, are, are children or, or siblings of mm-hmm. European pros who <laughs> come to teach or, or whatever and settle in the United States and um, are, are producing these wunderkinds, if you will. Um, and, you know, happy to have them. The more the merrier, I say. We're a nation of immigrants. And that's been the story. Not, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the great immigrant kids seem to be in uh, in Canada instead of the United States for whatever reason. Um, but we've got plenty of them. And that includes Kozlov. It includes Tiafo, It includes Michael Moe. Uh, and Aust- Australia as well. A lot of the the, the great players in Australia are, are because of immigration to those countries. So, um, yeah, I think that there's there's plenty of talent for the the uh, like you said, Svita. Um, you're gonna have to help me remember. I'm doing a blank. Who was? Oh, Brooke Jensen Brooksby, another really mm-hmm. Brooksby. promising talent. And- Nakashima. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Nakashima fan. Yeah, exactly. So plenty coming down the pike. Um, again, the difference between top 50 and top 200 is a, is a huge jump. And um, the players who went to college, the degree to which they're going to um, make that transition is, is always going to be a question mark. I think that's one thing that we didn't mention about John Isner. And we haven't talked a lot about college tennis. But John Isner's transition, um, you know, not a lot of uh, in the modern game, not a lot of four year college players go on to a career like get into the top 10. I think he's the only one probably since God, you know, since way back in the day um, to have accomplished that. And I think that's another thing uh, that we have to tip our hat to 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 um, to that guy. For sure. Uh, but what, what about the women real quick for the youth movement? Yeah, I mean, you said it like what Sonia Kennan accomplished. Nobody, I, I can tell you that as good as she looked in 2018, I don't think anybody <gasps> predicted. What? You were on the State of the Union pod with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to listen back to that because I'm sure I didn't predict anything like that. For I, I know I, I predicted big things for Anissa Mova and she started the year. Actually, I will let you know for your prediction. I was going to bring this out later for the top 10 Americans. You had Sophia Kennan ending as the fourth highest ranked American. You had Anissa Mova ending as the fifth highest ranked American. So good job by you. Okay. But I sure didn't think that Kennan would be anywhere <laughs> near the top, the top 20 or the top 15. It's fair. There's, I don't think anybody could have predicted. And, and just her, her, her mental strength and her like, her fight like we saw in, in fed cup last year even when she was losing those those tough matches that she definitely had some curious like like well wellspring of of fight and, and determination but seeing it in it, it, this year on the biggest stages not just winning her first titles and and her first doubles titles and getting to finals but at the majors deep in into tournaments just that you, you didn't want to face her. That was one of the players that you would rather have avoided because you knew she was going to always drag you into a fight and she was going to play to her strengths. And her backhand ended up being one of the biggest weapons of 2019, I would say. Um, again, kind of a surprise. Uh, but then to be equipped sort of in the popular imagination by this incredibly precocious, gifted um and like smart and just otherwise talented Coco Goff, uh, no, like 
she how how do you have a year like Sonya Kennan and not even be the most preco- not even the most precocious youngster from your country? That's 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 incredible. And um, I, maybe you can talk a little bit more about what Coco brought to tennis in 2019. But uh, it was it was a thrill ride. Yeah, I mean, and it, again, it wasn't just Coco Goff. It was Katie McNally as well, who she's playing doubles with everywhere. You forget about players like Whitney Osigwe or Ann Lee or Claire Liu or Haley Baptiste as well. There are just so many talented young Americans right now uh, on both the ATP side, who we just talked about, but especially on the WTA side. And yeah, Coco Goff's run at the U.S. Open, her wins at Wimbledon, all of it was so special and clearly captured the imagination not only of tennis fans everywhere, but of the mainstream American media. Uh, she was a story that transcended just tennis. It, it, it reached sporting fans everywhere, and that's what you always look for as a fan of American tennis is how are we going to grow the sport to gain more prominence so that athletes everywhere uh, throughout the country are playing it and so it becomes more popular. And Coco Goff embodies that opportunity. I mean, she's a young 15-year-old. The 2020s, you know, could be her second best decade of tennis. She could pull a Serena and just be yeah. unbelievable in the 2030s. And it's like, that's <laughs> feasible. And it's like, that, that'll be the, the old prime of, When the 2030s start, she should be the prime of her, her career. I mean, she'll be what's lo- younger than Sloane Stevens is now. It's yeah. unreal. No, it's crazy. Like, like Louisa Chirico right now is 23 years old. Like, and, and it's just like, okay, so like 10 years from now, she'll just be a little bit older than that. And like, think about how much Louisa Tirico has gone through over these past couple of years. It's just, it's, I mean, that's the random example. I'm just, I just see her in front of me in the rankings, but it's like, yeah, she's going to be in the front half of her twenties still, yep. uh, or like right near the back half. That's just, it's an unbelievable thought to have. And yeah, it speaks to how great all of these players have been, but any final thoughts on the youth movement and on these 10 storylines? Are you ready to move on to some of the fun stuff? Not that that wasn't a blast. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then, with that in mind, there is a couple of other things we want to do before we wrap up our conversation of the decade. Uh, of course, there have been so many uh, monumental moments, so many surprises, so many disappointments, so many fun things that have happened over the past 10 years. We want to have a little fun and talk about those things. Jonathan, I'm not going to lie. I switched the order up on you uh, just for the sake of I wanted to do this now. I've been itching to get my list out. We haven't done a list yet. So the place I want to start with this one, the top 10 U.S. men and women of the decade. And now there were no you know, requirements. I didn't specify what, what we're ranking them by. I just said, give me your top 10 men and women of the decade, 10 to 1. I have my list. We can try and go. You want to alternate, go from, I feel like the top of the list is more obvious than the bottom. That's where things will get interesting. So you want to start with the women, start at the top? Uh, yeah. All right, cool. I, I think the obvious number one is Serena Williams, right? No doubt. Yeah, for all of the reasons we said, now it gets fun. Number two for you. Sloan Stevens. Oh, me as well. Again, I, I don't think we disagree. We made the case earlier. Number three. Venus Williams. <sighs> this is how you know I'm a Jonathan Kelly disciple, because I also have Venus Williams number three as well. Again, we've talked about those three at length. This is where it's really will start to, it has to vary from here. Number four. Well, it won't vary for number four. It's got to be Madison Keys. 
Oh, so we do have our first variance, and I am very happy about it. Madison Keys is number five for me. Number four, and again, for my ranking, best women of the decade, totality. So it's not only how good were you as a player, it's what have you accomplished across the spectrum. And we didn't specify singles or doubles. So my number four player, a multiple-time Grand Slam champion, she reached the number one doubles player in the world. She won a gold medal in doubles. Bethany Maddox-Sand, my fourth most accomplished woman of the decade from the oh, American wow. side. Yeah, yeah. You know, I my rule of thumb is sort of um, – doubles counts as a quarter of singles in terms of <laughs> career accomplishments. Um, and I think that, you know, that's sort of borne out um, in how they do the, uh, I forget where I came up with that, but it just, it kind of makes sense to me that you're playing um, half the court, a little bit more than half the court. You have somebody else to help lift you up and you don't get the money. You don't get the prestige um, and you don't get, the uh ability to you know the the uh attention so um and the best the best players of all time for the most part aren't playing a regular double schedules and but when they do can dominate and the same isn't true in reverse so um that's why i put keys so high she reached the top 10 multiple times she won um large tournaments she got to the major final and um she has had some consistency as well. I put Bethany a little bit lower. Okay. I, I think it's fair. Yeah, for all of the reasons you just said, I have Madison Keys as my number five. I mean, she's come about as close as a lot of any player in the decade to winning a slam without doing it by making a final. Uh, she had a year where she made semifinals at all four slams. I mean, she was that good. Uh, so, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, she's my number five. Who is your number five? Uh, it actually is Coco Vandaway. Ah, who is my number six player? Okay. Yeah, I think Coco uh, making multiple slam semifinals, leading the team, um, like I said, almost single-handedly in the Fed Cup, making the top 10 in singles, but also being an excellent doubles player, winning a major in doubles. Um, and, uh, you know, she she persevered. She, she was uh, probably a, maybe considered a higher – higher prospect than Sloane Stevens coming out of juniors uh, with the, her U S open win. And she, she really struggled despite getting to one uh, Stanford final, I think early on against Serena Williams, you know, she was outside of the top hundred for a while. Uh, she um, had some questions about her, her, her speed, her ability to focus on court and her emotions. Um, she had some blowups, uh, she wasn't always the most popular player in social media, but she persevered and, and made it to the top 10, um, got to the Grand Slam semis and, uh, you know, showed a lot of, a lot of uh, toughness. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, look, she's my number six player, and I should say the other reason BMS gets the bump over Madison Keys, she has been on the Correct Interviews podcast, and when you're making a list like this, you get to be biased. Coco Vandeweghe, another guest as well, so she was for sure going to be up top. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, Coco's been outstanding. Again, I just think Bethany Maddox stands what she's accomplished across the spectrum, what she's done as an ambassador for American women's tennis. Uh, That all factors into my rankings list, so that's why I put her slightly above these two. But yeah, for all the reasons you said, Coco at number six. I, these top six to me are definitive. Uh, who was your number six player? I, I just want to put out there, uh, mine is Bethany Maddox-Sands. And um, Bethany Maddox-Sands had a spectacular decade in doubles. She didn't have a terrible decade in singles either. I mean, she was not the number one um, American, but she got up into the top 30, I think, right? And... Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't win a, a singles title, unfortunately, but she got to a couple of singles finals. She got to the uh, fourth round of the French Open in that period of time. She won a uh, mixed doubles gold medal in a really exciting match. Um, and uh, what was her highest singles ranking? Something like 20. What was it? Uh... I am looking this up as we speak, Bethany Maddox. 30. Sam, the top 30 in singles. Yeah. Early on in the day. Uh, yeah, she. I mean, Bethany Maddox, and she was career high number 30, which she reached in 2011. Uh, as you mentioned, in terms of uh, the finals she's made in singles, I don't think, uh, I mean, it's not even close to her comparison. She has four runner-ups, uh, those coming in. Quebec, Quebec, Hobart, and the Malaysian Open. I mean, but compared to what she's done in doubles, obviously it it pales. But yeah, I mean, she was a top 30 singles player as well. That means something. Yep. Yeah. All right. So then for me, there's a drop off after these first six. I think these first six, the order four through six, we differ, but we agree there's a definitive. These are, those were the top six. Then this list got really tough. Your number seven player, Jonathan. I, uh, I don't, this is sort of last second, but I put Allison Risk at number seven. Really? So she just missed my list. Uh, she's one of the best of the rest, but I went Sophia Kennan. And I know that's recency bias, but I talk about the totality of work, that she was as good as she was as a junior. I mean, a, the hype is what it is, but when you you know, want to build on promise, you want to be encouraged about American women's tennis, she was a name you certainly circled. So I added that to my list. But yeah, like seven through 10, it's all splitting hairs. Yeah, um, I, I give I give Rispa not over Kennan just because of you know she played the entire decade. She wasn't you know a twelve year old when the decade started. She was a professional who uh, was uh, won a title earlier in the in the decade. Became known as something of a grass court specialist, and then had such a rough twenty eighteen in terms of how close she came, and it looked like she was going to be like a real like just almost a disappointment for the decade and then for her to have the 2019 that she did and finish the decade with her first major quarterfinal with winning a title with um beating players like uh uh Svitolina Kvitova um and uh Bencic and Vekic and uh, Bertens. Her 2019 was such a special year, especially after the disappointments of 2018. 
Um, she wouldn't have been on my list if she hadn't had the year that she had. But uh, I just I liked her body of work over over the decade, and I liked the fact that you know every year you could count on her to 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 at least be there somewhere, even if she wasn't in the, the top fifty for most of the decade. Yeah. Um. I I think that's fair. I, I for Ali Risk again. She just missed. I guess we can go through these last ones kind of quickly because yeah. it really is splitting hairs. So for me, I had Ken in seven. You had Risk for eight. I cheated again. I went Huber and Raymond. Um, wh- who's your number eight? Uh, my number eight is Sony Kennan. Yeah. See, so I wasn't too far off. Number nine. Uh, <laughs> this sounds crazy, but Anisimova. I love you. I had the exact same thing. I'm mad at Issa. Over- I had the same thing. I was like, it's a semifinal. I was like, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And then my last one, Christina McHale. Yeah. Um, I actually had Lauren Davis. I think she sure. uh, didn't have as – she wasn't as good early in the decade, but she was better later in the decade. Uh, she's won multiple titles, right? And, and McHale only won the one. And um, – she, uh, I don't know. I think she had, she, I think she had a consistently higher ranking than Mikhail, although I have to double check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, yeah. For me, it was close. Again, it was a group of Mikhail, Brangle, Lipchenko, Risk, Shelby Rogers, Vanya King, CC Davis, you mentioned, uh, uh, CC Davis, CC Bellis, Lauren Davis, and Danielle Collins were all kind of just in the mix for it. Well, and one that we, we might overlook, uh, who unfortunately had her career cut short, but Jamie Hampton had a great, sure, sure. and became my favorite player for a little while in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, with that in mind, let's switch to the men. Uh, again, we'll try and go through this quick. Uh, number one for you. Isner. I had Bob and Mike Bryan because I cheated. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you straight up. Uh, number two, I had John Isner. Who's your two? Query. Okay, so I cheated, so Query's my three, uh, I think, for obvious reasons. Who's your number three? Jack Sock. Really? So this is where we disagree, and I'm going to take. I put Andy Roddick and Marty Fish even though it was only two to three years, but Marty Fish in particular, because I think he had two top 10 seasons uh, during the 2010s, I put them above Jack Sock. So I went at Bob, Bob and Mike won, but in terms of single, Isner, Query, Roddick, Fish, Sock. Okay. Um, I went Isner, Query, Sock, Roddick, Fish. Okay. So why does Sock get the bump above those two? Because I think we can understand why Roddick would be above Fish, but why do you put Sock as a, a below Query as opposed to Roddick? Um, just because Andy Roddick was retired for most of the decade. He, sure. He um, had some good tournaments, but he wasn't even playing a full schedule in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, Sock, even though I only count the doubles as a quarter, he still had uh a bunch of those doubles successes that that lifted him up and um he won uh you know he, he won as many ma- master series tournaments as uh as Roddick did yeah that's true i want you to know that i had sock number 4 initially but i thought you were going to yell at me and be like that's way too high so i put him below the other two 
And now I'm glad I did because we swerved. I outsmarted myself trying to think like you when I should have just done what I usually do, which is clearly you're the tennis fluencer. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's fair. Sock's total body of work, much like Bethany Maddox-Sands, is what puts him at the top half of this list, or in my case, number six, but puts him closer to those top five than anyone below him, in my opinion, and in that category with the Roddick Fishes, Queries, and Isners of the world. Uh, number six for you. Uh, Mike Bryan. Not Bob? You have them separate? Yep. If I let you cheat, would you put them together because it's Bob number seven? Nope. Oh, okay. I like that. Then your number seven. Is Bob Bryan. <laughs> All right. I'm going to let you cheat so you get to add one more to your list. So we're going to put them as a collective number six. So top six the same. Your number seven slash eight. Uh, Steve Johnson. Me as well. I think for the obvious reason, most ATP titles, most time spent in the top 50 was that good in college, and it translated to the pros. Uh, Yes, he fell off in 2019, but given the ups and downs, he's also had off the court. I mean, he is one of the American players of the decade. Um, Okay. Yeah, without question. All right, number eight, or nine in your case. Uh, Is Francis Tiafo. So I put Fritz at number eight, and I th- and then I had Tiafo right below him. So I think it's interchangeable. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. And and then your number ten is uh, <laughs> Ryan Harrison. You know what's great is he's my number ten too. No way, twinsies. <laughs> So the only person you left off that I added was Fritz. And I, again, going to total body of work, which is something I included, ending world junior number one, winning a junior slam, having that run he did through Memphis in 2016. I gave him a little, because singles wise, that was when you're like, oh, wow, these young guys might actually be as good as they look in the juniors. Yeah. Uh, that that moment gave him the, the bump above Tiafo, But yeah, Fritz, Tiafo, Harrison. I mean, Harrison has a doubles grand slam. That means yeah. something. That's why I put him on the list. Only yeah, and for me, just missing the cut were Opelka, Donald Young, Michael Russell, Dennis Kudla, Brian Baker, Tim Smichek, Rajiv Ram, and Bradley Klon. Anyone else in that little collective group you would have added? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. All right, well then, I want to do some additional superlatives before we get to our last category, which is the biggest disappointments and surprises. Um, and I will try and run through these superlative categories quickly as I did not give you the list beforehand. But here are my questions for you. Just you can go top of your mind, uh, uh, whatever topic you think. And I'm going to throw top matches in here as well at the end. But who was your favorite American? And I want man and woman from this answer from you, Jonathan. And I'll give mine as well. Favorite American to watch this decade? Uh, for women, it was Sloane Stevens. Uh-huh. Um, and, oh, God. <laughs> for men, oh, God. Well, you do your woman first, and I'll take my men. <laughs> okay. For me, women-wise, it was definitely Sophia Kennan. I just, I love her game. Uh, I mean, it, just the variety which she plays with. And, I mean, it reflects my youth that that's my answer, but... That is my answer. For me, on the men's side, it's it's between two. I mean, I'll watch Tommy Paul play no matter when because he's just so handsome. But I also just like that he can do a little bit of everything. I also think Kozlov's the anti-that. It's like it's just so different from what you expect that, to me, junk ball is the sort of thing I love. So those would be my two favorite men to watch this decade. Yeah, I would say Tommy Paul. And then I have to say Jack Sock. Honestly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, when it's right for Jack, you want to watch. We talked about that. 
And uh, I, I remember when I first saw him play at, at an Australian Open uh, early in his career, and um, might have been versus, you know, he lost. I think might have been versus uh, uh, Tsonga or something like that. He was showing some skills at the net. It was before his his doubles win, and that was also just a really special moment when he won the the Wimbledon doubles over the Bryan brothers with Pospisil. Uh, I thought like that was one of the highlights of the of, of the twenty tens in terms of just weird, fun, exciting tennis moments. Yeah, for sure. Well, then my my next superlative is the John Isner Award for least favorite player to watch, and once again, this award goes to John Isner for me on the men's side. Um. Is that a cheap shot? Sorry, John. You know, I'm actually I'm I'm a fan of your comp. I really I, I just I can't. I've seen enough. I can't. Um, no, he's he's not my least favorite to watch just because, um, he is in some tight matches, and so uh, you're not going to see him just like. I would say my least favorite player to watch is probably Jack Sock. (laughs) (laughs) Because it can be just so gross and. Yeah. And watching him fail when he has sitting when he has sitters and uh, just his attitude could be so gross during the period. So I would say my least favorite male player to watch is also one of my favorite males to watch is would be would be Jack Sock. Sure. Um, all right. How about the player, man or woman um, that was American that you rooted for the most? Always, I mean, it was it was always Sloan Stevens. Um, beyond that, for a man, I would say I rooted most like passionately or um got at the edge of my seat most for might have been might have been francis tiafo over roddick or fish yeah 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 i never had the the sort of emotional bond you know my my 2010s favorite my 2000s favorite player to watch by far was james blake um mm-hmm. and i just it was uh it was always just a thrill to sort of go through the journey of a, of a tennis match um, with James. Um, who else would I have really, really kind of like just lived or died by the, the, you know, watching on my phone and not being near a TV and just sort of uh, based on how I would, was hoping they would do, I would probably say, you know, really any of these, these, uh, yeah, you know, the the young players, Tiafo, um, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz. Opelka, I, I, I really like as a person. It's been harder for me to uh, get as emotionally involved in his matches for whatever reason, but uh, all those guys. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I would say any of the next-gen crew for sure. There's an obvious answer, but this gets into my next question, so I'm going to save it for the next one, which is who did you think had the most potential and that, that you did that didn't turn out? And it also links into the question after that, which is the player you irrationally still believe in. And it's all three for these questions to me have one answer. And it's Stefan Kozlov. I've rooted for him all decade since you know he actually started the decade at the age of twelve as well. Uh, he's been as good at, in twenty ten as he is in twenty nineteen, which is unfortunate for me, but it was part of the fun of watching him play. Uh, I mean, you watch the guy, the things he can do with a racket, just the creativity, the different angles, all of the different things, and it's so impressive. And I will still irrationally believe in him. 
Uh, but yeah, all of the next gen guys for me because again, that's my cohort, that's my generation. So that that these three. But for you, who who do you think had the most potential? I would also say uh, the Sarmiento generation. I am shocked that someone from Sarmiento, Evan King, Dennis Kudla, any of those guys didn't crack the top forty. You know, top thirty really make a run. I will say like, that, like, I don't know if it's, I don't know why you're calling it the Sarmiento generation. It's the weirdest uh, player to <laughs> in that generation. But the number of players of, I would say, the um, uh, uh, Jermier Jenkins re- players who were mm-hmm. retired, who got into the top 100, I think Tennis Sangren might have been the only one. These guys from college who um, were good. Ooh, add Ryan players. Williams to this list. Yeah. I should have mentioned him earlier. Ryan Williams, uh, Jermier Jenkins, uh, uh, what's his face from Ohio State? Um, Chase Buchanan. Chase Buchanan. Like these guys who are, were very talented players who could definitely have had Alex Domishan. Uh, well, no, because he didn't really play as a pro. But I'm like, they started in the, in the pros and they got to the top 200s. Uh, Connor Smith even, and then didn't play anymore. Um, was is really I think a lost opportunity. We could have had a lot more players in the top. 150 to, to 100 and the only one who really seemed to stick with it and and improve his game year after year was tennis sangren and uh he ended up having you know a very 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 respectable even excellent career from you know where he was coming out of college yeah i i think that's fair i guess uh then my, my last question for the superlative and then uh again i i think uh you know, we we are over the two-hour mark, so we, we can get to our final topic. Yeah, but uh, top matches for you of the decade that Americans played. What are the ones that stand out? And we texted a little bit back and forth before this, so if you want to throw some of the ones, you know, I suggest as well, go for it. I don't What did you say? <laughs> I said Fritz versus Dustin Brown, Sacramento. Uh, I think it was like first round 2015 challenger. Okay. Um, I would say— Or Kozlov Query, another great one. Right. Um, I would say that uh, there were a couple of uh, Tiafo matches at the Australian Open this year that were would definitely be up there. Um, for me, Sloane Stevens had so many like really memorable matches against Halib at the French Open, against Serena Williams in that Australian Open quarterfinal, um, uh, against uh, she had a win against um, Sharapova in there that was a really exciting match. Um, she, yeah, she had quite a few, I would put, um, I think Serena, oh, her final against Sibokova in Acapulco, I think it was 2016, that went to a, a, a buster was just so many winners in that match and so much great shot making two really great athletes playing at their peak. That was one of the most fun matches. When I go back and like, start going into like youtube rabbit holes just to watch fun matches (laughs) i always go back to that one um because it was just it it was a treat and the crowd was really into it it was a night match it was just it was all sorts of fun i mean there are so many good matches uh i would say isner mahout is probably the most memorable one just because i could tell you exactly where i was summer school speech class going into 10th grade uh where we were all trying to sneak watch it while class was going on or at least i was um and like that was a very memorable one i mean i don't remember jack sock winning in paris because i think i've tried to block it out of my mind but like i I talked that kozlov tiafo final in kalamazoo i mean that's my genre of tennis uh that 2017 michigan versus uc irvine club tennis final i'll watch that on youtube every day no one of the decade 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and I no, think, that, like I said, that doubles that doubles final between Sock and Pospisil and the Bryan brothers was also had to be up. yeah exceptional as well. Yeah, there's a lot of going. You, you talked about the the query man. I mean, just. Query beating Djokovic at Wimbledon, right? Yeah. That was a monumental moment. There's a, there's a bunch of them you could turn to. Match. Sorry? But it wasn't the most exciting match. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we'll take a win, right? We needed them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all and right, then. Also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Melanie, Melanie Dan winning her one and only single title at Birmingham. There's a little gem in there that I don't want to forget. <laughs> I mean, again, we could do that list. That the, the best matches we could literally do a full another hour on that. But all right, Ryan, the last we, question, Ryan Sweetie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Kelly Cuoco in the courts. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, <laughs> not good. Can we leave that in? That's fine. It's been enough time. Um, yeah. Um, all right, the last one I want to ask end with then, and we've talked about a lot of these things uh, over the course of this. But biggest surprises and disappointments for you over the decade. Um, biggest surprise, uh, probably would be, um, that, that run that Sloan Stevens made at the, uh, at the U S open in 2017. Um, and for men's, I'd say the biggest surprise was, uh, the Sam query win it over, over Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. That, that's hmm. Those are all good. I mean, I'm trying to think. Biggest dis, uh, biggest surprise. <sighs> biggest surprise. I mean, the biggest surprise is that. Hmm. Biggest surprise is that Stefan Kozlov is not in the top fifty. Um, well, and the biggest, biggest disappointment. disappointment well, yeah. it's also a surprise. I was that sure of it. Um, and you guys can see where I'm thinking it. I, I mean, the biggest surprise is that, you know, despite not winning a Grand Slam on the men's side, despite having only two uh, women win single slams on the women's side, I still feel pretty good like about American tennis moving forward. And I know yeah. it was a rough decade, but it feels like the next 10 are going to be pretty good. And that's a surprise given how this 10 was, you know, given what 2014 and 15 looked like. Exactly. We had the worst years imaginable where, um, I think there was one year in there where no American man won a title. And I think there was another year in there where no American woman won a title. And I think only one got to a final. I think that was Bethany Maddox-Sands one year back there. The fact that we came from where we were and what looked like the real death of American tennis uh, with uh, imp- what we thought were the impending retirements of the Williams and John Isner getting the, into his mid-30s. The fact that there's so much um, excitement and good players and potentially great players uh, among Americans that will be part of the conversation every single week, probably going forward for the next few years. Uh, you know, couldn't ask. That's that's one of the better like surprises. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then on the discipline, and I, you know, I will give it quick. I think I'm going to save the look ahead to 2020 uh, for I'm going to use that to solicit to get another podcast out of you, and that is, you know, what we'll be doing uh, moving forward. But I'll get your 2020. 2020- 2020s American thoughts at the end, but quickly, biggest disappointments. Uh, I would say um, some some players who showed some flashes and then couldn't maintain them, like Donald Young, like uh, Ryan Harrison. Even though he picked things up a little bit later, but um, given where they started, you know, Jack Fratangelo. What's that? Oh, yeah, Angelo mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, 
and uh, you know, then just Krejcik. some real some players who got who disappointed me based on their injuries. And you know, the book isn't over on Jared Donaldson by any means, but he was doing so well, and it looked like he was really going to um, maybe become a top forty player, and and he hasn't been able to sustain it. Uh, obviously, the early retirement of of Jamie Hampton. Brian Baker was one of the greatest stories for a while, but he also couldn't quite maintain it, although I don't think he has anything to look back on too disappointed. But, you know, um, I would say those were some of my my biggest disappointments. And plus, um, I was really hoping that uh, the North the Northwestern men would get to a NCAA semifinal. <laughs> that was my home team, sort of. And it was – they had a really good team a couple of years ago with Strong Kirchheimer and um, – Conrad and Sam. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was really hoping they could like sub some Alice there. Uh, some yeah, that, that was the team. Um, yeah. Oh, I can't believe we brought in college tennis. Biggest disappointment is that Virginia lost in 2012 to USC at Stanford, or not 2012, 2011. Excuse me. That that team that Sonam Singh and Michael Shabazz didn't get the national title they deserved. Uh, because they did deserve it. And by the way, I went to Michigan. Virginia's not even my school. Yeah. I know they deserved it. Um, we also yeah, had a lot, I, of, a lot of cancer this decade, and it's not a fun thing to talk about on Thanksgiving, but we had a lot of players who survived who survived um, cancer. A lot of injuries, too. Brian Baker comes to mind, just a tennis career taken away, all of these things. Yeah. yeah Nicky and, Duvall, obviously, our cracked rackets teammate and colleague whom we love so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, but you know I'm glad that there's still players like Taylor Townsend and and Vicky Duvall and uh, um, uh, you know in their 20s, but still have plenty of of talent and and fire. Shelby Rogers um, and even even Kudla and McDonald and I think even like Fratangelo who have gotten to the the top hundred. Um, and I think can get back there. And in Taylor Townsend's case, has great potential for the next few years to to really make it in, into the top fifty and be a consistent threat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, even the disappointment—it's just like that's um, something for us to be excited about—is that the, a lot of these players who have had injuries still will have a lot of the twenty ten, uh, a lot of the twenty twenties. Excuse me, uh, to play their best tennis. And for Taylor Townsend, I mean, she ended twenty nineteen as well as she could have possibly hoped, given some of the ups and downs she had this decade. So yeah, it's a it's a really fun place to be as an American tennis fan, as we've mentioned, going into the twenty twenties because there is this plethora of talent right now in the pipelines uh without going into too much depth your final thoughts on well it's always a state of the union pod so we'll say this the state of the union of american tennis heading into the 2020s uh for i would say it is the the second or third brightest of any country in the world it is um for one of the most exciting places for all international sports uh, is American tennis. And um, uh, I, I think that even as I've been uh, off of tennis Twitter and have paid a little bit less attention over the last year or so, um, it's going to be every every week, There's I know that there's going to be, um, for the next several years, there's going to be something exciting that's going to happen for American tennis. And, you know, 2019, we had 
a player in the in the finals or semifinals of a tournament almost every week, and uh, that's uh, that's a rare that's a rare um, thing to happen for a, for any country. And we probably have you know you know the Canadians have some incredibly bright stars at the very top, but in terms of players at the majors at the the the, the uh, ATP WTA levels at the challengers at the futures, there's uh, Lots and lots of tennis to, to be enjoyed and to, um, and we still have, even though we have fewer professional tournaments than we used to, we still have a bunch of challengers and futures tennis and a lot of great opportunities. And I just hope that people remember that and, and go, like you keep saying, support professional tennis, live tennis, um, show up, make your voice heard, support tennis like you're an Italian tennis fan. Like they never <laughs> fail to get up and, and support Italian players and, and make it a, a fun experience and a happening. And I would like to see that happen in the United States in the 2020s. That was one of my bigger disappointments in the 2010s that there's plenty of times I would go to, like I said, a, a champagne challenger and be the only person clapping and really trying to get into making it a fun time. And, um, and uh, that's what I would love to see is that spirit sort of like generate itself for, for the 2020s. Absolutely. You know, that's part of our goal at cracked rackets is to, you know, raise the profile of tennis it's conversations like this when people can hear about all of the great things that have happened over the past 10 years of tennis even when we don't have a male grand slam singles champion there are so many other great things for tennis fans to be excited about so i completely echo you there i know another thing tennis fans will be excited about two and a half hours of jonathan kelly after <laughs> oh, uh, you know, months away we get the full you know all of your thoughts i've tried to extract and more from this podcast and you know, we mentioned we're recording this on Thanksgiving. It's become a tradition, and I cannot say enough how thankful I am to have the opportunity to do this with you each and every year. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the podcast. Any any other final thoughts from you? I am out of thoughts. I'm thoughtless. <laughs> Well, then we will spare one final thought for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who I say this every time, but I really mean it this time, have one f- of an editing job to do. I mean, this is an all-time classic for them. The final stopping time will be over two and a half hours of podcast. So huge shout-out to them for all this. And for our listeners, this podcast, uh, Best of the Decade, I'm sure will be divided into a couple of parts. But we've got this going on, Cracked Interviews-wise, getting you all ready for the college season with our College Contenders series. And, of course, our mini-break podcast, where we will be beginning our 2020 look ahead, our off-season preview in December. Uh, But with that in mind... For the wonderful co-host, again, of On The Rise blog fame, tennis fluencer Jonathan Kelly. For our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff. And from our entire team at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy what is going... We hope you enjoyed our recap of the American tennis. We hope you enjoyed the 2010s for American tennis. But at the very least, the one thing we want to leave you all with. Jonathan, what do we tell our listeners? Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, remind me. It it involves the great shot. Uh huh. Uh huh. Go on. And we'll oh, tell I, them, I, hey, I hey, great shot. <laughs> great shot, American tennis in the 2010s. We look forward to the 2020s, and we will talk to you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jonathan.
We hope you enjoyed all three parts of our GSP Best of the Decade conversation, looking at the top American storylines, results, and controversies from the 2010s. I mean, we could, we tried to cover as much as we could in this three-part, two-and-a-half-hour saga, but as there was so much tennis going on, we want to hear from you, the listeners. Is there anything we missed? Are there any other storylines, any other players you would have mentioned when you look back at these past 10 years of American tennis that we did not get to today? Also, Really excited to hear what's your outlook. How are you thinking? How are you feeling about American tennis heading into the 2020s? What are the things you're most confident about? The things you're most worried about? All of those, you know, and all of the things in between. So let us know. You can do that by reaching out to us on our social media, Cracked Rackets. The accounts are at Cracked Rackets on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, this podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, the Mini Break podcast, all can be found on our website, CrackedRackets.com. I know it's December, but again, you don't want to be caught left out of the loop. You want Want to know all things going on in the tennis world from college tennis all the way through to the pros and you can do that by checking out our website crackedrackets.com one other thing i want to leave you listeners with before i let you go if you've been listening to our other podcasts you know we are so thrilled to have brought on our newest sponsor aero bar uh the first tennis specific energy bar for all of you players uh who have been looking for that sort of substance to fuel you properly as you head into and play your many tennis matches now i've talked about it before or I swear to God, if Aerobar was available when I was a kid, I would have been a champion. Uh, I, we would have been talking about the 2010s. It would have been the rise of Alex Gruskin, his first six years on tour in his prime from ages 18 to 24. Wow, he won 12 Grand Slams, and they were all fueled by Aerobar? That's not shocking at all, but unfortunately, I didn't have Aerobar available to me, and luckily for you listeners, you can now, and not only can you have an Aerobar, but you can get them uh, much cheaper by using our discount promo code it's cracked 30 c-a-r-c-k-e-d and then the number 30 to get 30 percent off your first order delicious honey cinnamon oat delicious chocolate chip flavor again you don't want a bar that melts in your bag you don't want to look like the schlub who opens up his bar and now he's got chocolate over his fingers and his towel's a little brown and it's kind of just everything about you is gross no you want a bar that stays solid you want a bar that tastes good that's easy to digest uh you know you won't need the water at the changeover because it's this is that moist and delicious of a product but i'm telling you this is what you're looking for and the coolest part about our partnership with aerobar to help kick things off they gave us a free signed john isner racket that we want to give away to one of you listeners and to get be a part of that competition to give yourself a shot to win that racket we're asking you go leave a rating five stars please and a review of either this podcast again the cracked interviews podcast the mini break podcast and by doing so you'll enter yourself in the contest just leave your instagram handle away for us to contact you whatever it may be um if you leave multiple reviews across multiple platforms your aim your name will be entered into the competition multiple times so you know again listeners it's on you it, once you're there you might as well do all three right you don't want to waste your time so go sign up for that give yourself a chance to uh win yourself a signed john isner racket obviously this being the best of the decade of American tennis, what way better way for you to finish the decade than with a signed John Isner racket? But we do have other best of the decade stuff cooking. I promise, listeners, you will enjoy that. I think we're we're eventually going to get to our best match of the decade. There's been a lot of YouTube highlights to watch and some other things before we wrap up 2019. Of course, college contenders going on on our other podcasts as well and all of our daily updates. Uh, 
throughout on the mini break. So be on the lookout for those things. But shout out to the super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do as always. And again, this was a three-part episode. You think they didn't get their money's worth? Uh, so shout out to them. But for my wonderful co-host, Jonathan Kelly, who again, we cannot thank enough for coming out of hiatus to do this. For our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.